you know, sometimes I kind of wonder why I do what I do. Like, why am I a Christian? Why am I a pastor? Why am I still so excited 30 years into this thing and fired up for what God is willing to do? And it all comes down to me to two words, and those two words are change lives. I just never get tired of watching God change people's lives, to see them transform, to see them have new life, to have new meaning. And today, what I want to do as we're looking forward to Easter is I want to encourage you to do kind of three things that have challenged me to be able to be optimistic on this Christian journey. And the first thing that, I, that we all need on this Christian journey is defining moments. And that's your first fill-in. For those of you that are on the stream, the first fill-in is we need defining moments. Now, I grew up as a PK, a preacher's kid, and uh, I attended two churches as a child and also as a teenager. And both of them were great churches with great people. But the problem is, is that both of those churches over time came down with a disease called koinonitis. Now, koinonitis uh, is uh, a baseline of a word in the New Testament called koinonia. Koinonia is a great word. It's a word that means community, and that's what the early church was about. And there is nothing better than Christian community when it's working at its best. But koinonitis is this idea that you're being infected by community. In other words, that you're only thinking about the people that are inside the church. It's very inward focused, only thinking about ourselves. And when that happens, we get infected with koinonitis. Well, unfortunately, both of these churches over time uh, just kept thinking inwardly and focusing on themselves. And what they found was less and less changed lives. Less and less transform lives. Now, the reality is, though, that for me, when I became a pastor, when I was 22 years old, that was the only model that I knew of how the church was supposed to function. The only thing that I knew was that the church was to function in such a way that we cared for those inside the church and the heck with the heathens outside the church. Like, don't get involved with those heathens, because if you do, it will mess things up. And that's the way I practiced my ministry for the first two years until one night there were some sirens coming down the road uh, of the house that I lived in in Flora, Indiana. And these sirens were an ambulance and also a police car that went two houses down from my neighbors. Now the truth is the police had been there before, so that was nothing new for me. And uh, I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm sure it has something to do with their kids. Because their kids were out of control. These were the kind of kids that would listen to heavy metal music well after midnight and keep everybody up. And people didn't like them very much at all. And then these kids would go to our church parking lot. And they would start smoking cigarettes and leave their cigarette butts out on the parking lot. And I remember going there, picking them up, and we kicked them out of, the, the, out of the, uh, playing basketball a couple times because of that. And so on that particular day, 
when I saw all the police cars and uh, the ambulances going to their house, this is what I did. I watched them all go. I turned around and I walked back into the house and I went to bed. And I thought to myself, don't take a risk, Chris. Don't get involved with any of that. Be safe. Well, the next day, I got a phone call in the morning from a person in the church who uh, shared with me. I didn't even know who lived there. I'd seen them before. I didn't know their names. And they said, uh, you know, that family that lived there, they're called the Makovics, and uh, the wife Maria, her husband Ivan, shot himself last night in front of the family, and he died. Now, You would think that someone who is a pastor, who's a spiritual person, would listen to that and have great compassion. And it's very hard for me to still uh, say it today because I'm ashamed. But 28 years later, I still remember what I did. And it's something that I'll take to my grave. I remember talking on the phone to that lady and simply saying, Well, I'm really busy with a lot of church stuff. I can't go down and see them. And I hung up the phone. And I'll never forget after that, I went to this little study area that I had. I got my Bible out. I started praying. I started doing everything. And have you ever had the uh, experience before where you've been accosted by the Holy Spirit before? where the Holy Spirit was so powerful, but that the power of God got in my face, and not audibly, but in my spirit, this is what I sense. What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you trying to get more spiritual and spend time with me when just two houses down, there is a family that is going through something that you could never imagine, Chris. Get up. That's what I remember saying. Get up and go. And it was on that day that I obeyed. I don't do it all the time, but on that day, I obeyed. And I remember walking out of, the, out of the house, walking down there, and I walked into this home. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but you walk into a home, and it's not just grief, but it is a pain. And there's a grief that is beyond what a human being can barely take. And there was Maria, who I did not know, and Tony, her seven-year-old son, and they were weeping, and they were crying. And this is what they said, oh, we're so glad you came. We're so glad you came. And I, just a few minutes ago, didn't want to go at all. And it was a defining moment in my life. A defining moment in my life. What Ivan's funeral we uh, had the largest crowd that had ever been in that church. And the people that walked in were very different. There were these people that were tatted up all over the place. And there were these uh, kids that were rebellious, and they were there. And the smell of wacky weed was all over within. Uh, Not that I ever partook of it, uh, but just saying, you know, I I could sense that it was there. And so at the funeral, I took a a picture, and we just photocopied it on eight and a half. It wasn't nice or neat or anything, of a picture of Jesus knocking on the door. It's a famous painting. 
and we gave this to every single person. And I did something that I had never done before in the history of the church. At the very end, I had a moment where I said, and I want you to look at that picture of Jesus knocking on that door, and it's not a door, it's your heart. And if you're ready to accept Jesus today, I want you to just raise your hand. And all of a sudden, 20 people raised their hand. And I thought I said the wrong thing, so I said, are you sure? No joke. And people are looking at me, I'm like, are you sure? Let me say it again. I said it a second time, and five more hands, including the 20, raised their hand. They all were like, yes, we're in. We're accepting Christ. And folks, it was a defining moment in my life that people, more than anything else, matter to God. And if people matter to God, they must matter to each one of you. Now, along with some defining moments, what we also need in our life are some defining scriptures. That's your next fill-in on the app or uh, in the outline, some defining scriptures. You know, uh, some of you are here for the very first time, or some of you are on the stream for the very first time. This is your first teaching, or maybe you've come back and it's been a while since you've listened to a message. But for some of you who are here, you've heard dozens, hundreds, maybe thousands of messages. And sometimes a message can go in one ear and go in right out the other ear. Don't raise your hand right now to say, yep, that's me. And the thing is, for me, sometimes even it happens to my own message. I'll think of something and someone will come up and say, hey, what did you teach on a month ago? I have no idea. It didn't stick. didn't stick at all. But every once in a while, there's a scripture that I'll study that... It goes in one ear and it never leaves. It stays stuck in the midst of my brain. And it stays there. And one of those scriptures that has stayed stuck in my life since that day and every day since is Luke 15. And Luke is in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. I'd encourage all of you to read it this week. Just write it down, Luke 15, and you can read it. It's three stories. And let me give you a little bit of background before we jump into it. Jesus has been hanging out with some irreligious, wayward people. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, are not very excited that Jesus is doing this. In fact, they're like, you shouldn't hang out with lowlifes like these. And in verse 1, this is what we read. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputations, prostitutes, crooks, other riffraff, were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and the religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like good old friends. So here is Jesus in the midst of this public square when all of these people with doubtful reputations come up and start listening to him. And the Pharisees are not happy at all. They're very upset because they had a different theology about God. Their theology was that the God of heaven looked down at people like this and he was disgusted by them. 
so disgusted by them that he was just waiting for the moment that he could throw down fire and brimstone and light them up and get them out of the way. And this was the theology of the Pharisees, the religious leaders. But Jesus, being the second of the Godhead, the second of the Trinity, the very heart of God, he knew the Father's heart. And he knew that the Father had a huge heart of love and compassion for everyone, especially those who were far from him. And in the midst of all of this, he realized the Pharisees had got it dead wrong. Dead wrong. And then Jesus had some choices that he was going to have to make. Well, it's very interesting what Jesus does. Jesus decides that in order to influence this group of religious leaders, he wasn't going to be confrontational with them. He was just going to share some stories. Three stories back to back to back. The first story goes like this. Then Jesus told them this story. If any of you have a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will you do? Won't you leave the 99 in the field and go look for the lost sheep until you find it? So Jesus says there's a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. Don't you like our art today? You know, uh, that's what we pay uh, Josie for, to come up with these cool art pieces. A uh, hundred sheep. And one of these sheep wanders off and goes off. And what the scripture says, Jesus says, is that the, the shepherd leaves the other 99 and he goes and searches high and low until he finds that one sheep. And when he finds that sheep, he puts the sheep over his shoulder. He comes back, he invites all of his shepherd buddies to come and to party with him because he found his one lost sheep. The second story goes like this. What will a woman do if she has 10 silver coins and loses one of them? Won't she light a lamp, sweep the floor, and look carefully until she finds it? So Jesus tells a story again of a woman who has 10 coins, and she misplaces one of the coins. Now these 10 coins represent everything that she has. So 10% of her wealth is gone. And then she goes ahead on this frantic search, and she's cleaning, and she's cleaning. My wife likes to clean, and she's clean. Don't mess around with Jennifer Bunch when she's cleaning, trying to find something. And she's cleaning, 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 and she finds it, and it says that when this woman finds it, she celebrates, and she like gets all of her girlfriends. She calls them on the phone. She's like, girlfriend! She's like, you know that one coin that I lost? I found it. Come on over. We are going to pate. We're going to get our nails done. We're going to do the whole thing. Come on over. And then story number three goes like this. Jesus said, once a father had two sons. Here, Jesus tells a story of a father and two sons. And one of the sons wanders away. And the reason he wanders away is because he does something that in that culture would have been thought of as just being kicked out of the family for the rest of the son's life. He actually goes to his dad and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait until you die. I want it now. And in doing that, he basically was saying, Dad, you're dead to me. I'd rather have money than you. And so he takes this money 
And scripture says that he goes off and he squanders it in a foreign country, uh, spends all of it, has nothing left, and finds himself in a pig pen feeding pigs, but the owner won't even allow him to eat the pig food. And he finally is at this lowest moment in his life. And the scripture says that he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. And he comes up with this idea, I'll go back and I'll work for my dad. I won't be his son, but maybe he'll take me as, my, as a servant. And so he comes to his dad's, and he's getting ready to go up this long lane. And as he's walking, his father runs to him. He says, Dad, 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 just take me as a servant. And the father ignores what he's saying. And he puts his arm around him, and he hugs him, and he loves him, and he throws this great big party for him because his son was lost. But now he had been found. Now he had come home. So there are kind of three common themes in these stories. And this is the first theme uh, that came to my mind, and it's this. Something of value comes up missing in each of these stories. A sheep, a coin, a son. And what is missing really, really matters. It like really, really matters to somebody. And of course, if you have children and one of your children is missing, and if you're a parent, all of you have probably experienced this at some point, just if it was a short period of time or maybe longer, and they wander off when that happens, that missing son, that missing daughter, they really, really matter to you. Several years ago, uh, we were on vacation in Florida and uh, we were down on the beach, and it was our last day, and um, we had uh, borrowed uh, some umbrellas and chairs, and we had to pay for uh, the week and did some sports, uh, water sports stuff. And so while we were getting everything ready, I told Jennifer, our girls were real little, I said, Jennifer, I'm going to uh, go to the hut, I'm going to pay for everything, and uh, you go on back up with the girls. She said, yeah, that's fine. So I go to the hut. I pay for everything. I'm walking up. I walk up to uh, where the swimming pool was, and I see Jennifer, and I see Shiloh, but I do not see Jordan. And so as I'm walking up, uh, Jennifer doesn't see Jordan either, and she goes, well, where's Jordan? Now, this is what I've learned not to say since then. Um, What I said was this. Well, obviously, she's not with me. You don't want to say that to a young mom. And pretty soon she's like, what do you mean she's not with you? I'm like, she's not with me. Well, she told me she was going to go be with you. And I'm like, well, she's not with me. And all of a sudden I'm like, calm down, calm down. And we looked around the pool and we couldn't find her. We go to another swimming pool. We couldn't find her. And frantically for about five to 10 minutes, we're looking everywhere to try to find Jordan. And we cannot find her. We rushed down finally to uh, the beach area where we were at and we couldn't find her. And all of a sudden that sinking feeling as a parent, are they in the ocean? Did something happen as she drowned? And we're rushing up and down and I'm just yelling out loud to loud of my voice, the loudest of my voice, Jordan, 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 have you seen my daughter? Have you seen my daughter? Please, we can't find her. We can't find her. Jen can't find her. I can't find her. It's about almost 10 minutes now. We go back to the hut and I tell the people, please, please, have you seen my daughter, Jordan? She has blonde hair. She has pigtails, just like what I was thinking, you know, in those amber alerts that you see sometimes of children being taken away. And I knew an ache in that moment that I had never known in my life. 
And then, then all of a sudden I looked around the hut and I looked around and there was this little girl with blonde hair and these two pigtails. And I picked her up and I gave her a hug and I loved her. But in that moment, folks, I'm telling you, I've never had it since. There was an ache in my heart that I lost something that was so, so very valuable to me. And this kind of leads us to our third kind of, or our second theme uh, that we give in these three stories, and it's this. Something that is missing is worth an all-out search. Something that is missing is worth an all-out search. One theologian refers to God as the hound of heaven. I love that. First to God, he's the hound of heaven. He's on the scent. He's always searching, 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 searching for us. Just like the shepherd and the woman and the father were searching for their items. You know, if you ever talk to someone who's actually come to faith before, they can usually look back, and I bet you can too if you're a Christ follower. They usually can look back on their life in some way and say, Oh, now I see what God was doing. He was actually searching me out long before I ever came to him because he thought I was worth an all-out search. And every single person here, everyone on the stream, every friend, every family member, every coworker, they're worth an all-out search from the hound of heaven who is looking to see people come home to him. Because you've never locked eyes on another human being that didn't matter to God. And if they matter to God, then they must matter to us. The third kind of theme is retrievals. Retrievals bring rejoicing. Retrievals always bring rejoicing. Just think about it in these stories. The shepherd throws a party when he finds his one lost sheep. The woman throws a party when she finds her lost coin. The father throws a party when his son comes home. And this scripture came to my mind so much when I was reading one day verse 7. And in Luke 15 verse 7 it says this, Count on it that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life then over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Every single time an irreligious, wayward person turns to Christ, a party breaks out in heaven. When I was 12 years old, I made a commitment to Christ in Milford, Indiana at Camp Mac. And on that day, uh, as I was reflecting on it one time, on that day when I accepted Christ, this is what happened. In that moment, 10,000 angels started to celebrate that I was coming to the Father. And they threw this banquet party in heaven knowing that I would be with God one day and while on earth, I would be with Him. And in that moment, they threw a banquet where the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit were there. And there was a banner above the table. And the banner had my name on it, Chris. And everyone was celebrating in heaven because I chose to have a relationship with God. 
And this is what is true about every single one of you who have accepted Christ. That day that you gave your life to Christ, heaven paused and 10,000 angels came and they all celebrated you. And there was a banquet and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were at the head table and above that table was your name. It had your name, whatever your name was, all of heaven celebrated. And it gives us an indication of just how much you matter to God. You matter so much to God. And so Luke 15, folks, has never left my mind. It's always stayed stuck. And over time, as I read it more and more, and it's there, I begin to see people differently. And when I walk through my days, I walk through my days and I'm like, well, that person matters to God, and that person matters, and that person matters, and that person matters to God. So, that coworker that you'll see tomorrow matters to God. That neighbor, when you drive home today and you wave, um, that person matters to God. That friend that will text you later today and you text back, that friend matters to God. And if they matter to God, they must matter to you. And what would happen if you actually took a risk? You actually took a risk and you invited them to come next week on Easter. Because the truth is, folks, is God is counting on you. He's counting on everyone in the balcony and everyone here and everyone on the stream to invite someone to come to the party. So that is the number one Bible passage that has been in my heart and has never left. Luke 15, that people, all people, matter to God. And so what do you need? You need some defining moments. You need some defining scriptures. And finally, you need some defining people. Some defining people. Let's say uh, that this week you took a risk and you invited coworker, neighbor, friend, family member to come. And let's say that wherever you're sitting right now, that person actually shows up and they sit right beside you. And as God's spirit moves, he pours something into them where they give their life to Christ. And over this next year, you get to watch their life change. I have a feeling that if that happens to you next week, and I'm believing that it is for many of you, that you would say, I want to invite somebody else. Not just one person, but I want to see the next person's life changed. But I have a feeling also that what you would want to see happen is that person who comes and sits here, you're like, I hope they'll invite someone. Because what you want to see is a multiplying effect of God's power moving, of his love impacting other people's lives. Several years ago, I was going to a soccer game for my daughter, And as I was getting ready to go, I didn't know any of the other parents, but I had my eyes looking and searching uh, who might matter to God, and everyone did. But my eyes caught this lady that was struggling, trying to get all the stuff ready for soccer to get it to the soccer field. 
And so I just walked over and I said, hey, can I help you with those chairs? And she's like, yes. And so as we walked up to the soccer field, uh, we introduced ourselves. She told me her name was Shauna. And uh, she said, hey, I think our daughters actually play on the same team together. And I didn't know who her daughter was. But uh, they played on the same team. And we would go and watch games all the time, uh, back and forth. And we've done this for years together. And uh, eventually I met her husband, John. And uh, John and I hit it off real quick because we're both sports enthusiasts. And as we got to know each other better, our families started connecting. And uh, the kids would come to our house. Our kids would go to their house. And eventually they found out that we were Christians. And then they found out I was a pastor. And that's where I thought, we've lost them. We're in trouble. You know, like, they're going to be like, ah, we're, we're done. And, uh, but what happened was they actually started asking a lot of spiritual questions. And we'd have conversations. And then over time, we took a risk. We took a risk, and we just invited them to come to church, and they actually came. And they have continued to keep coming. Like I said, we became really good friends, and over this time as we became friends, uh, John and I decided for the daddy-daughter dances, because they were all in elementary school, that we'd do it together and we'd have our pictures together. And over time, uh, John and Shauna and Aubrey and Avery accepted Christ, and then Shauna actually even got baptized. And When she got baptized, she was so excited, she told her parents, who lived in Kentucky, you need to do this too, and so they got baptized. And over the past few years, I sat down with them and I was asking them, how many people have you reached out, brought, or connected with in some one way and invited them to come to church? And it's been 29 people who've actually come and sat here and been a part of church because of them. And a little bit uh, over a month ago, a little over a month ago, the little soccer girl, their oldest daughter, Aubrey, who's now 15, has grown in her faith, and I had the chance to actually see her baptized and to celebrate and baptize her myself. And folks, I'm telling you that there is nothing better in this world than being used by God to see people's lives changed, generations changed, and nothing is better than that. And it has been such a joy to watch God work in John and Shauna and Aubrey and Avery's life and to see the impact that they've made in other people's lives. And you have those same stories, or you can start those same stories this next week. And I don't know why, but I just kind of felt compelled to to say this. That I'm telling you, you do not want to go into the next reality without your spouse or without your kids or without your parents. You don't want to go into the next reality not knowing that they're there. And this is the week, I'm telling you, to pray your boldest prayers, to take your boldest risk with your extended family, aunts, uncles, neighbors, whoever, that this is the week that you don't want to go into the next reality without them. So do your boldest. When you go to work, every single person you see, your neighbors, how can you invite and reach out to them in some way? Because it's time to risk more. 
It's time to raise the risk bar, to raise the prayer bar, and to see what God might do. You see, nobody, nobody ever comes to faith in Christ unless somebody else takes a risk. Nobody comes to faith unless you take a risk or I take a risk. So I'm asking you as humbly as I know, would you raise your risk level this week? Would you invite your friend on Easter? Would you invite your coworker on Easter? Would you invite your neighbor on Easter? Would you invite a family member on Easter? And when they come, maybe, just maybe, their heart would be open enough that God would move in a great way and you would see a changed life that you would never, ever, ever be able to see in any other way. And you'll go on for the rest of your life rejoicing for what God has done in that person's life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for taking a risk on us, reaching out to us, never giving up on us, being the hound of heaven that is constantly searching for us. Help us this week, God, to take a risk for you, to invite one or two or more people to come. And as we do, as we pray with open hearts, God, we're asking, we're pleading, God, would you bring these individuals to come and to get to know you? Right now, I'm just going to ask you a question. You can keep your head bowed. You don't have to look around, but I just want to ask you, and for those of you on the stream as well, you can just say, yeah, me too. How many of you know at least one person who's disconnected from Christ or the church? one person in your life that's disconnected from Christ or church. Can you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. If you know one person, hands everywhere. Let's pray. God, I pray right now that as a church, you would use us, use every person in this place and on this stream to care for others enough to take a risk this week to show your love, to let them know that they matter to God. And God, I pray that you'd give us boldness this week to invite them on Easter, to take that risk. And we believe, God, that if they would open their hearts, God, that you would move, whether it was through your spirit in some way, through music, through your spirit, through a teaching, through a moment, something that you're going to do next week, God, to change lives, and we get to be a part of that. We ask and believe that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can put your hand down. You know, maybe some of you are here today, and when you heard about those things that are being lost and how much you matter to God, that you're like, wow, there's been a void in my life for a long time, and I never really realized what that was. But today I get what that is, that God's been searching for me, and I've just kind of been pushing him aside, but man, today I want him in my life. I want him to 
receive me and I'm giving my life to him. And today, if you want the promise of all of your sins forgiven, Jesus wants to give that to you. He went and he died on a cross, which we'll celebrate on Friday. And three days later, he rose again so that he could let you know that you would have a home in heaven and there was a resurrection that took place that we can't wait to get to and you can have that. And so today, if you're ready to say, I want that in my life. I want his love. I want his forgiveness. I want a second chance. I want new life in me. Then I'm going to invite you in a prayer. And it's not a prayer that you pray by yourself, but people around you will pray with you because we never pray here at the jar. But if you feel comfortable, it'll be the first time you're praying it, but others have prayed it many times, that you would just repeat this prayer after me and we'll pray it together. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could serve you, follow you, and serve you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.